Have you been wondering about taking an idea that you have where you see a hole in the market and you know that you can fill it and creating a product in order to fill that need? Then today's interview is one you don't want to miss. Welcome to The Road to Seven. I'm your host, Sheila Cummins. I am an entrepreneur, a mentor, an investor, a wife, and mom to three beautiful children. Women entrepreneurs are up-leveling and changing the rules for business strategy, leadership, success, money, and impacting the world every single day. The Road to Seven is the diary of business strategy for women entrepreneurs. We meet you where you're at in your business and champion you along the road to your vision. And I am honored you chose to join us today. Ready to go? Buckle up. It's time to hit the road. Today, I sit down with Jessica Kwong. Jessica is the founder and CEO of Jack and Friends, a company creating plant-based jerky from jackfruit and pea protein. Jack and Friends believes in inclusivity, especially when it comes to food. They are committed to crafting products you can feel good about eating regardless of your lifestyle or diet, so you can enjoy food without compromising on quality. Jessica used her technical background, which includes a Bachelor of Science in Food Science from Cornell University, and experience working in consumer packaged good corporations like Mondelez International and the Haines Celestial Group to launch and lead her very successful startup. I hope that you enjoy this inspiring and informational podcast as much as I did. I learned about my guests today through the Revolution Her Awards, and I've been honored to be a judge for them for the last couple of years. And it is one of the biggest gifts is being introduced to some new companies that I maybe haven't come across yet or haven't learned about. And today's was one of those companies. My guest today, Jessica, is the founder of Jack and Friends Jerky. And if you haven't been to their website yet, I strongly suggest you do, jackandfriendsjerky.com. The branding that Jessica has put behind her company is so unbelievably clever, I knew that I had to have her on. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today. And I have two questions to get us started. First of all, what is jackfruit? Because that is the root of your product. But more importantly, I'm sure you haven't always been making jerky. How did you get into this business? No, two great questions, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that we were able to connect through the Revolution Her Awards. And you know, I'm here on the Road to Seven here today. So yeah, to answer your first question, jackfruit is an amazing ingredient. I first came across it in 2016, just doing some market research about, you know, interesting ingredients coming from a food science background, which I'll get into a little bit more later. But basically, it's the largest tree-borne fruit in the world. Some individual jackfruits can be close to 200 pounds, which is absolutely what? insane. Yes, it's it's crazy. If you look up pictures of, you know, gigantic jackfruits, it's it's almost the size of a, of a small person. It's, it's pretty incredible. So it's the largest tree-borne fruit in the world. 
predominantly grown in South Asia, like India or Southeast Asia, like Vietnam and Thailand, you know, super tropical. And what's really interesting about it is that it almost has two forms where, so you have your ripe jackfruit, which is a bright yellow color on the inside underneath its green spiky exterior. And it almost has the flavor of a mango, banana, and pineapple all mixed together. So it's an incredibly tasty tropical fruit that people enjoy eating like any other fruit. But what's really interesting about it is that when it's young and green or somewhat unripe, the inside rather than being bright yellow is this almost off-white neutral color and very neutral in flavor. So it basically absorbs all the flavor that you add to it, which is actually the form of jackfruit that we use in our plant-based jerky, just because it has great textural properties and really lends itself as a blank canvas for everything that we're developing. That's so cool. But here's where the disconnect is for me. I understand eating the yellow form when it's ripe, How did you discover the unripe form and then have it go from its, in its pure sense, into jerky? Give us a little bit of a background into that. Yeah, I I think, like you said, the the ripe form just makes total sense like any other fruit. What's interesting is that in South Asia and Southeast Asia, where jackfruit is predominantly grown, there's already a long history of people native to the region utilizing the young green jackfruit in different savory applications. So in India, Thailand, Vietnam, even China, you know, people often eat jackfruit in savory applications and use that young green form. So there's already been kind of a history of utilizing the jackfruit in that manner. And then also translating to kind of retail and CBG, we've already seen the young green jackfruit used in kind of your refrigerated or frozen meal. So there's like faux pulled pork and faux crab cakes using jackfruit already on the market. Even back then, it was much smaller than it is now, but there were still some products available in select stores. So kind of just you know, learning about the ingredient and then seeing how it dovetailed into different product applications, which, you know, was always very cool to see on my part as a food scientist. It's kind of how I learned about the different uses for it. That's amazing. That's really neat. I had never heard of it before I came across your company and then obviously jumped into the research on it because I was so intrigued. Jessica, how did you get involved in making jerky? Yeah. So like I mentioned very briefly earlier, I come from a food science background. So very technical as it pertains to the food industry. Basically, all the nerdy topics that you can imagine as they pertain to food are my bread and butter. While I was a student at Cornell University getting my bachelor's in food science, I was heavily involved in product development competitions, which was essentially a way for students to gather in teams and create new and novel products all the way from ideation through kind of like a prototype and business plan stage and then take it to annual competition. I have also developed everything from yogurt to baby food to baked goods at small startups like Jack and Friends, all the way to multi-billion dollar companies like Wondley's International, you know, during my summer internships while I was still completing my degree. So I kind of came from a technical background as it pertains to food, especially on the R&D and innovation side. And this specific concept for a plant-based jerky stemmed from something that I had worked on for competition. And I just felt it was, you know, 
a really great product to further develop. And then most importantly, have it be kind of the first introduction for a brand that I felt really passionate about. Mm-hmm. One of the pieces that I really was intrigued by was that you call it an all-inclusive food. What does that mean? Yeah. So, you know, when I say the brand I'm passionate about, you know, we're starting with plant-based jerky. It's not going to be our last product line. Really, Jack and Friends is built on a larger platform surrounding inclusivity. So what I mean by that is all of our products and our, our mission is centered around crafting food inclusive of different lifestyles, diets, and allergy restrictions without having to sacrifice nutrition or quality. Mm -hmm. Why is that important to you? I just feel, you know, especially coming from a technical background, but then also, you know, personally with family and friends that may have allergies or dietary restrictions and just, you know, kind of seeing the food industry and how people purchase or make food. I think there's often a lot of choices and compromises that need to be made where, you know, almost every day you come across someone saying, oh, I would love to eat that or I'd love to buy that, but I'm allergic to this ingredient or, you know, I have to cut back on my sugar or, you know, I'm vegan, so I can't have this. Where I think food is such a a personal and, you know, beautiful thing where the easier you can make a choice, the better. That's so neat. I love it. How did you go from idea and test kitchen to getting a product on the shelf? I mean, that's a huge undertaking. Yeah, it's definitely no easy feat. I really thank my food science background in that respect, just because, you know, I had already gone through that process with multiple other product lines and product categories, you know, at actual companies and then also through these product development competitions. So I was already very familiar of how to take a concept and then make it into a prototype on a small scale and then how to commercialize that prototype for, you know, full production. So obviously there were a lot of hiccups along the way and obstacles, you know, for our specific plant-based jerky, but I think coming from the technical background really helped me in terms of having that infrastructure to at least know how to tackle that. Mm -hmm. What were some of the hiccups or the barriers that you had to overcome? Yeah, I think, you know, something, our biggest challenge just overall business-wise and, you know, something that we're only resolving right now to this day is manufacturing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, our plant-based jerky is, a little bit more unique than other beef jerkies or even some other vegan jerkies, which have, you know, a very simplified manufacturing process, kind of like a a marinade slice and dry, whereas ours has a little bit more going to it. So one, finding the right manufacturing partner that even has the capabilities to manufacture our product, you know, are kind of a more limited search, I'd say. In addition to that, you know, we're a small startup still having a manufacturing partner that is comfortable with partnering with someone smaller and then having them grow into the relationship. It's always a tricky path to navigate. Yeah. And then kind of couple all of that with the pandemic was very interesting trying to find manufacturing during a time where I think labor and just manufacturing capacity was very limited. So I think all of those things kind of combined to the perfect storm and made it very difficult for us, you know, between 2020 and right now in terms of finding the right partner. It was a very zigzag path. Thankfully, we found a great contract manufacturing partner that 
we're going to be in full production with in the next month or so. But it definitely was not easy getting here. Yeah, I can see. How did you keep that grit and resilience and the the focus? I mean, it would have been so easy to walk away probably at 500 different moments along that journey. Where does that drive come from? Yeah, I think I I joke with my other, you know, founder friends, especially in food CPG, that if you don't question your decisions about your business or just like briefly think about just throwing in the towel every single day, you're probably lying to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) So I think every, you know, founder or entrepreneur kind of goes through those moments where, you know, it's difficult and you just kind of want to give up. But I think kind of taking a step back and thinking about why you started the business, you know, why you think your product brand, et cetera, has potential and why you're so passionate about it kind of always brings you back to where you started. Yeah. Yeah, that's neat. And, you know, I love that you've got a community of people around you. I think that also is probably a massive part of how we stay focused and Mm -hmm. keep going to be able to reach out to people when things aren't going smoothly. Oh, for sure. I mean, especially myself, I'm a solo founder. So, you know, don't even have a co-founder full time to kind of bounce ideas off of or, you know, kind of just vent to if needed. So having that community of other founders, you know, advisors or just people in the industry has been so helpful. Mm -hmm. So if you're a solo founder, you're pretty much wearing all the hats at this point, I would suggest in your your business growth. Is that right? Have you hired yet? Other than a manufacturer? So in terms of full-time hires, it's just myself as a solo founder. I like to say I have a small army of fractional hires, you know, content manufacturers and agencies that handle specific business functions. So thankfully, over the years, I've been able to take off some of the hats, especially in areas that I have less expertise in. So that's been hugely helpful. Everyone that I work with is phenomenal. You know, I think... As Jack and Friends continues to grow, this model has worked for us in terms of having kind of people specifically focused on certain business functions. And then once we get to a size where it makes sense to bring in house, that's when we'll do so. Yeah, for sure. For sure. How did you get on that first shelf in the first store? So uh, our very first retailer in Colorado, and they unfortunately this past year closed doors after I think a decade of serving their consumers just because they, I think they were at, you know, a different point in their life where they wanted to, you know, go after different business venture and, you know, the pandemic made it very hard for independent retailers. But, you know, our very first retailer, which we absolutely loved was in Colorado and they had actually reached out to us to stop us on shelf, which I think is a very lucky happening where one of our consumers that had purchased on our website went to her local vegan market and requested our product because she loved it so much, which was, you know, as a small startup who was, I think, maybe one or two months into the business at that point was so rewarding to hear. Yeah, like that's such a vote of confidence. Like somebody's going in. So that's that was actually my next question is you're based in New York. How did you get in a store in Colorado? But actually that opens up another question for me is you launched as solely e-commerce B2C selling. How did you gain traction or notoriety? How did you get that first sale or find that first buyer? 
Yeah, I so in March 2019, we launched one SKU exclusively on our website. So almost a very small test market and kind of leading up to that soft launch, I'd say, you know, it's heavily focused on promoting on social media, mainly Instagram, trying to generate some buzz for the brand and the product. So we could have kind of a nice little bump up when we, you know, launched our product for pre-sale. So that I think helped, you know, obviously going out to family, friends, anyone in my network, telling them to spread the news and, you know, pre pre-order our product. That really helped in the initial phase of, you know, just getting product initially in the hands of consumers. And then most importantly, getting feedback from those consumers so that we knew if we needed to change anything, what they love, what they didn't love. And kind of, I think from there, it was, you know, always focused on what marketing initiatives will reach our target market. So I think we've been very focused on digital marketing since we are D2C focused. So that in social media, whether it's organic and paid, SEO, making sure our website has certain keywords, even events, you know, kind of that house our specific type of consumer where we can really just boost brand awareness. Yeah, neat, neat. And how did you, when you were getting feedback, what First off, what was the kind of feedback that you got? And had, did you take any of that feedback and make changes? Yes. So yes and yes. I think mm-hmm. what really helped was prior to launching the product, I conducted what's called a sensory test. So again, coming from the technical background, basically like a formal taste test where consumers will try the product and then answer a survey about specific product attributes. And then I'll analyze that data and see if anything needs to be changed. So I kind of went through two iterations of that before even, you know, putting on the website. So I think that really helped give us a strong baseline. But even from there, after we had, you know, sold our first batch of product to consumers, you know, there were certain small things that we wanted to change about like, you know, strength of like the tomato flavor or like the salt level, things like that, where it's helpful to know what exactly consumers either liked or or disliked. And, you know, thankfully we got a lot of positive feedback and, you know, some constructive criticism that we then took to reformulate the product. I think also in the initial stages, one of the biggest things that we changed changed was trying to refine our manufacturing process so it was more efficient. So that really helped us in the long run as well. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of that feedback is so subjective. You know, what's too salty for you is not salty enough for me. Maybe I don't like tomatoes, so I think it's too strong versus someone who loves it. How do you sort of balance out the subjective feedback with, like, legit, there's some some basis to this feedback? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's always difficult, you know, what is subjective and, you know, at what point does it become large enough for you to actually make a change to your product because yeah. you know if one person out of a hundred says oh it's too salty and then you make it less salty well you run the risk of the other 99 thinking now it's not salty enough so it's right. always you know interesting balance I think you know my technical background makes me really try and look at the data so I'm always you know thinking about sample sizes and like how many consumers feel a certain way where I'm trying to not focus too hard on maybe certain outliers and focus on the big picture and seeing, you know, if there's actually something that is crucial that needs to be modified. Yeah. So if you get a hundred people and 97 of them are saying, whoa, this is a little too salty, you know that there's something in there. Exactly. You know what I love about that is one of the things I help women do is is run data-driven businesses. It's all about the numbers and the numbers don't lie. Mm -hmm. And I love how you're using the data, 
in order to make really strategic business growth decisions mm -hmm. and product growth decisions. I just think that's so refreshing. Yeah, I think, and it's difficult too, especially with certain areas. I think the more data that you have, the more that you can use it as at least a piece of information to help inform your decision. That's always the most helpful. The reason I bring that up is we're going through a brand refresh right now where creating a, a more cohesive visual identity to, you know, further support Jack and Friends as a brand and, you know, highlight our cute new nomenclature and, you know, everything that the brand is about. And obviously branding is such a subjective decision and area, but in this process, you know, obviously going with my gut as well, but looking at our Google analytics and mm -hmm. our purchase history to see, you know, well, our target market is within this age group and they're purchasing this many times. Like, do we think this design will resonate with them or will this other design resonate with them? So, you know, at the end of the day, it's still subjective, but the yeah. more that you can lean into actual data to help inform those decisions is always helpful. Yeah, no kidding. Two more questions. I know you're super busy. Two questions and I'm going to let you go. First question is, what do you know now that you wished you'd known when you started? Jack and friends? I think the biggest thing is everything will take twice as long <laughs> <laughs> and everything will probably cost twice as much as yes. you initially anticipate. Yeah. So I think the biggest kind of big picture idea to keep in mind is like, be patient, obviously continue to push forward and like, do as much as you can to grow your business and, you know, the quickest amount of time healthily, of course, going back to things costing twice as much, keep a yeah. keen eye on cash flow. Yeah. But I think, you know, patience is so important because it's really about, you know, the long journey rather than, you know, what you achieve in like a day or month or week. So, you know, even if you feel like things are not progressing as quickly as you had imagined, it's probably not progressing as quickly as anyone else has, you know, imagined in their businesses as well. So, you know, be patient, continue to push forward and, you know, just keep that in mind. Yeah, I love it. Just quickly on the on the angle of cash, did you did you bootstrap this whole company? Have you got outside investors? How did you raise capital to be able to to grow so quickly? Yeah, so we've been bootstrapped for the majority of our life cycle. We only just recently started taking funding from outside investors, mm -hmm. mainly strategic angel investors and micro VC funds. But for everything until basically late 2021 or early 2022, we've been bootstrapped. Wow, that's really amazing. Has yeah. it been good working with the investors? How's that changed your business or your growth trajectory? Yeah, I think it was the right time for us to take outside investment because we needed injection of capital for this kind of scale up phase that we're going through right now. But most importantly, we wanted investors that came with some type of strategic value. So the people that we're working with have insider expertise in CBG or the plant-based food market specifically. So they've been helpful, you know, being a bouncing board for ideas or just providing advice or making connections. So it's been very helpful to kind of bring them into the network and have them be a value add outside of just capital. 
Amazing. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's, you know, I think the capital is one thing, but oftentimes one of the benefits of bringing in those investors is their network, their contacts, their knowledge, their background, their know-how. That's sometimes equally as valuable as the capital. Oh, 100%. I love it. And what's next? What's next for Jack and Friends? That's a loaded question. There's a lot that we're working on. Some I can say, some I can't. But I think immediate next steps is we're going through a real major growth phase right now where we're transitioning manufacturing to the co-man. So we'll finally alleviate production capacity and have enough jerky to sell finally. Which oh, is nice. <laughs> that yeah. would be good. <laughs> that would be you know, the first step, which has been you know so frustrating to have that be the bottleneck. So it's very exciting to get to that point where you know we can continue you know really growing the business. So kind of coupled along with that, we've partnered with a digital marketing agency to really take all of our marketing to the next level. Mm -hmm. So we've had all these plans in the pipeline that didn't make sense to implement until we had enough product to sell. So we're doubling down on paid social, paid search, email marketing, the whole, the whole gamut. And then, you know, we're raising funds from outside investors and really just looking to scale Jack and friends in the D2C channel and also the independent natural grocers. And then further down the line, you know, once we've kind of solidified our name in the plant-based jerky realm and people know Jack and friends, what we're all about, really looking forward to expanding our product portfolio to include other product lines that, you know, have Jack fruit as a star ingredient and really still follow our mission and ethos as a brand, but, you know, are in different meal occasions or product categories to capture more of that consumer lifestyle. That's terrific. What a great plan. Listen, I know people are going to want to be following you. They're going to want to jump on the bandwagon and cheer you on. Where's the best place for them to learn about you and Jack and Friends? Yeah, you can head on over to our website, jackandfriendsjerky.com. You can buy our you know jerky directly from there. And we also have a, a really nice about section and a Jackfruit 101 section if you're interested in learning more about our ingredients and our mission. If you're looking to find us on social media, you can find us at, at Jack and Friends Jerky on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Terrific. And TikTok as well. I love it. Jessica, thank you so much for your time today. It's been so insightful and nothing but the best in growing this brand. It's It's got a really strong base. No, thank you so much for having me. I, I appreciate all the kind words. And again, so glad that we're able to connect through Revolution Her. Yeah, I love it. Great. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Road to Seven. If you found value in what you've heard today, please leave us a five-star rating and a written review. You might just get a shout out on an upcoming episode and you never know when I'm going to be mailing some surprise treats to our reviewers. Make sure to subscribe so you automatically get notified when new episodes are released. Are you looking for a way to connect with other entrepreneurs that are facing the same challenges as you? I'd love to connect with you in the Road to Seven Facebook group on Instagram and LinkedIn. Just head to SheilaCummins.com. You will find all the links that you need right there. Together, we'll explore more ways to support your shift into action so that you can grow your business to finally match your vision. I love aligning your vision of success with strategic and intentional actions because that 
is how we will grow your business to match your vision. I focus on women, all women, because women hold the keys and the power to creating a powerful and positive world through their impact. We'll see you on the next episode.